Welcome to the Beacon Broadcast from Beacon Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina, featuring expositional Bible teaching by Pastor Greg Barkman. If you'd like to correspond with the Beacon Broadcast, or if you wish to support this radio ministry, write to The Beacon Broadcast, Post Office Box 159, Alamance, North Carolina, 27201, or find us on the web at beaconbaptist.com beaconbaptist.com The Beacon Broadcast is supported in part by the gifts of faithful listeners. Now with today's message from God's Word, here is Greg Barkman. In the closing verses of 2 Corinthians, yes, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, We have Paul's commission in verse 20 and Paul's message in verse 21. In verse 20, we are told that Paul is an ambassador for Christ. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And then in verse 21, actually the last part of verse 20 and all of verse 21 we have Paul's message. For he made him to be who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is a very important text because Paul makes it clear that this not only applies to him, he does not say, now I am an ambassador for Christ, but it applies to others and evidently to all born-again believers. Now we are ambassadors, plural, for Christ. And so Paul leads the way. He shows us what he does as an ambassador for Christ, and in doing so, he shows us how to be good ambassadors for Christ, that is, those who properly represent our monarch to another. That's what an ambassador does. He represents the king or the government that has commissioned him to others and gives to them the message that his leader, his authority, has issued to him. And and a good ambassador demonstrates his fidelity by doing by passing on that message accurately. And that's what we are to do. We are to make sure that we are passing on accurately the message that has been delivered to us so that we can be ambassadors for Christ. And we are working our way through that message, starting actually last week on the broadcast and continuing on this Monday, January 9, and doing so because some of our radio listeners, like, hopefully, like yourself, are helping us financially to carry on this ministry. Well, I've told you that there are six key words in Paul's message, and we've already covered several of them, but let's look at them very quickly. The first one is reconciliation, be reconciled to God, and just think through that word and what it represents, and that'll give you a good way to start with a gospel presentation. The message of reconciliation. We 
are estranged from God. We are alienated from God. That is our natural condition. But God graciously has made a way of reconciliation and has made an offer of reconciliation. But it really is more than an offer, isn't it? It is a command. Be reconciled to God. It is a command that people will obey to their benefit, to their tremendous blessing, or will disobey to their great sorrow. So reconciliation. But secondly, there's the key word that I have summed up with the word initiative. Initiative is not found in the text, but it is pointing out that it is God who did this. For he, verse 21, made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. God took the initiative in this reconciliation. Normally, the one who has committed the offense is expected to take the initiative to try to work out a way of being reconciled to the one that they have wronged. But in this case, we are the ones who committed the offense. We have wronged the one who gave us life, and yet he is the one who takes the initiative. It's a wonderful message. It's a gracious message, isn't it? And so think about that. He did this and explained to them that God has taken the initiative. That's a wonderful theme to talk about in presenting the gospel. The third key word is the word Savior. It tells us in verse 21, For he, God, made him, Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin. And the Savior is Christ. God the Son became Christ the Messiah, the Savior. God the Father appointed him to do that. God the Son volunteered to do that. We don't know all of the conversations, if there was was such a thing as a conversation, that took place within the triune Godhead in eternity past. But we do know that for the work of reconciliation to be accomplished, there has to be a Savior, and that brings us to the fourth term, which is sinlessness, because we read here, he, that is God the Father, made him Christ who knew no sin. A perfect sacrifice is required. And there's only one who can qualify. And the the only reason there is one who can qualify is because eternal God, God the eternal Son of the Father, was willing to step down into earth and to robe himself in human flesh and become a man and live a sinless life so that he could qualify to bear the sins of those who trust in him. And that's why there is a way of reconciliation. Otherwise, there would be no way that a holy God could reconcile sinners unto himself. And so that brings us to the fifth key word, which is the word substitution. And this is really critical. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. To be sin for us. And that phraseology is found countless times throughout the New Testament in reference to Jesus Christ taking the place of sinners. He became our substitute. He became sin for us. Or he became sin on our behalf, which is a way of saying he took the sinner's place in judgment. And he therefore was treated 
as if he were sinful, though he was not, so that we could be treated as righteous, though we are not. I never get tired of that truth. I never get tired of talking about it. I never get tired of thinking about it. I never get tired of singing about it. That is the heart of the gospel, substitution. Jesus Christ took my place. And, of course, not just mine, but took the place of all who trust in him. Jesus Christ took our place. He took our place to bear the judgment that was due unto us. And to do that, he had to be, in the words of this text, to be sin for us. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Now, there's mystery there. How is it possible for the sinless one to be made sin. I'm not sure that I can explain that fully, but I do know that what's being presented is the work of substitution. There was a way that God could, as it were, take our sins and place them on Christ, and then Christ would be treated as if he were the sinner, and he would bear the judgment that those sins deserved, so that those who were truly guilty and deserved to be judged for those sins would not be punished for those sins because they are punished in Christ, who was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And that wraps up uh, phrase number six, which is imputation, that we might become the righteousness of God. When we trust in Christ, our judgment is placed on him. His righteousness is imputed to us, that we might become the righteousness of God. That's pretty hard to explain, too. On the one hand, how do you explain that God made him to be sin for us? On the other hand, how do you explain that we might become the righteousness of God in him how does how do you explain that but the idea is that we are made legally righteous that is in our relationship to the law it is the law of god that we have broken it is the law of god that condemns us we have failed to obey it and therefore the judgment the punishment that goes to those who break the law is due unto us we can understand that on human terms We understand that in the society in which we live. If someone breaks the law, he breaks into a house and steals something, and that's against the law, then he must bear the judgment which his sin requires, which the law says his sin requires. And that's where we are before Almighty God. God has given us his law, his commandments. We have broken them. You say, how many have you broken? Well, we probably all broken more than we realize, but all it takes is one to condemn us to eternity apart from Christ because the only way to righteously enter into heaven by our merit is to be perfect, be, be righteous like Jesus Christ, no sin. He who knew no sin. Nobody's ever done that. Nobody can do that. Our sinful nature that we're born with, that goes clear back to the original sin of Adam in the Garden of Eden, 
makes it impossible for us to live a life of righteousness. And so we've broken God's law. We deserve the punishment that goes with it. It's really not, what should I say? It's not that, it's not rocket science. (laughs) We don't have to say, well, God, you shouldn't punish me for that sin. Hey, you should, you, you, you knew that before you did it. It's like the policeman that stops you for speeding, and you don't deny that you are speeding. Now, sometimes you do, but in this case, you don't. You know it's true. He's got you on radar, and he shows it to you. Have you ever had that happen to you, where he brings the radar gun and shows you, here's how fast you were going, and you see it right there. I started to say in black and white, but the ones that I've seen have been in red, red, red numbers, And the number's way over the speed limit. Okay, I've broken the law. Now what? Well, the penalty for breaking the law is due unto me. Now, what actually happens can vary in different circumstances, but the law that I have broken has a penalty. It's not that the policeman is being mean. He is just carrying out the law that he's been sworn to uphold. And he has found someone who has broken the law, and he knows what the penalty is, and we do too. But if someone steps up and in a court of human law, we don't know if this, this would happen, could happen, be allowed to happen. But if someone steps up and says, I'll take the judgment in his place, I'll pay the fine. I'll take the points on my license. I don't. I don't know that a judge would, would approve of that. But the wonderful thing is that God had the God the Father has approved of that, and He said, "I will accept a substitute in the place of the sinner," and so we are made righteous by His righteousness being imputed to us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him, and that is being legally righteous in relationship to the law. It is a wonderful message, and we'll have to finish it up, Lord willing, in the broadcast tomorrow. Until then, this is Greg Barkman saying good day. May God give you his eternal peace.